when we're talking about the humiliation of Christ, I think an important distinction or clarification is that we are not only talking about the very end of his life, like when he died on the cross, mm-hmm. although that's probably the first thing that comes to our mind, mm-hmm. but really all of the incarnation for yeah. him to become a yeah. man was condescension. Yeah. Um, and then his entire life as a man was not lived in ease and comfort, but he had no beauty or majesty about him that mm-hmm. would draw anybody to him. He mm-hmm. lived in poverty and obscurity. He experienced hunger and loneliness and pain. And you know, those things mark his entire life. Yeah. And so we're talking about all of that when we're talking about the humiliation of Christ. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Grun, and I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church. And I'm joined again with my good friends, Ryan Chase and Caleb Dernberger. Ryan's a pastor and Caleb a pastoral resident at Emmaus. And as always, guys, it's a, it's a joy to sit down with you and kick this stuff around. Um, this week, we're back in our rhythm of the Statement of Faith. We've been working through the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith, um, the confessional document of our family of churches, uh, and this week is a joy. We get to sit and think on and talk on and read about the saving work of Jesus Christ. Um, really, the you know you can't say any of these are better, quote unquote, than the others. Or, but this one has a <laughs> there's a uniqueness about this. Without this, we are most to be pitied. Um, so we we think on and consider. The saving work of Jesus Christ. This one in the statement comes in three sections. The humiliation of Christ in his saving work. uh, The efficacy of Christ's saving work. And finally, the exaltation of Christ in his saving work. So you can see a a theme there. There are three categories. The humiliation, the efficacy, and the exaltation. So I'll start with the first one. Uh, I'll read it and then we'll, we'll kick it around. So, the humiliation of Christ in his saving work. In the entirety of his life and death, Jesus Christ humbled himself to serve as our mediator in obedience to his Father's saving purposes. As the second Adam, his sinless life of wholehearted obedience to God's law obtained the gift of perfect righteousness and eternal life for all of God's elect. In his substitutionary death on behalf of his people, Christ offered himself by the Spirit as a perfect sacrifice which satisfied the demands of God's law by paying the full penalty for their sins. On the cross, Christ bore our sins, took our punishment, propitiated God's wrath against us, vindicated God's righteousness, and purchased our redemption in order that we might be reconciled to God and live with Him in blessed fellowship forever. There's a lot going on in that that (laughs) paragraph. And I think a couple words are worth drawing out and highlighting. Um, and we'll start here. What do we mean, and what does this text mean, guys, by the humiliation of Christ? What, what is the theological, quote-unquote, definition of that? 
yeah, begins with his person, which was the previous section, understanding that if Jesus is the eternal son of God, then the incarnation is not when he began to exist, but he has eternally existed as God forever. And like we said last time, remaining what he was, fully God, Mm -hmm. he became at a point in history what he was not. He he took on full humanity. And, And that is, that alone is, Humiliation. That is an incredible mm. step down. I, I, I don't think anybody has said it better than Charles Spurgeon. Um, if Well, Paul, the inspired words in Philippians, <laughs> Philippians 2, 2 talk yeah. about the, the humiliation of Christ. So that biblically, you know, that, that's one of the clearest texts mm. in Scripture that speak about Christ being in fully nature God, but he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and being found in human appearance. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul lays out the life of Christ saying, just becoming a man was Mm -hmm. humiliation. But not only did he become a man, he became obedient to the point of death on the cross. And so I think Charles Spurgeon helpfully just says, before we can ever get a right idea of the love of Jesus, we must understand his previous glory in all of its height and majesty and his incarnation upon the earth in all its depths of shame. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on, and I won't read the whole quote, but he goes on to just exposit and expound upon uh, the glories of Christ, the height of that. And then when you consider his, his humanity, he says, um, who on the other hand can tell how low he descended Mm. to be a man was something, but to be a man of sorrows was far more to bleed and die and suffer. These were much for him who was the son of God, but to suffer as he did such unparalleled agony to endure as he did a death of shame and a death of desertion of his God. This is a lower depth of condescending love, which the most inspired mind must utterly fail to fathom. And yet we must first understand the infinite height and then the infinite depth. Uh, we, We must, in fact, he says, measure the whole infinite that is between heaven and hell before we can understand the love of Jesus Christ. Mm. So uh, that's when we're talking about the humiliation of Christ. I think an important distinction or clarification is that we are not only talking about the very end of his life, like when he died on the cross, although Mm -hmm. that's probably the first thing that comes to our mind, Mm -hmm. but really all of the incarnation for him to become a man was condescension. Mm -hmm. Um, And then his entire life as a man was not lived in ease and comfort, but he had no beauty or majesty about him that Mm -hmm. would draw anybody to him. He Mm -hmm. lived in poverty and obscurity. He experienced hunger and loneliness and pain. And those things mark his entire life. And so we're talking about all of that. We're talking about the humiliation of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it is, we speak of humiliation. We're not only speaking of how we would read it as just like, Oh, that's humiliating. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Like being, like the cross, it was maybe like you said, the first thing that comes to mind, but just the scope of it. But that requires, as, as that Spurgeon quote, kind of, it's a relative idea mm-hmm. of the humiliation. If all we had on our mind was the the crucifixion, well, it was just as humiliating to those watching for the um, for the thief next to him, right? Right. That was just as humiliating. So what what is the main difference? And the difference is who Jesus is, mm-hmm. um, and his personhood, and who. And who he, who he, quote unquote, I don't want to say was, yeah. but well, who he is as God, the glory that he enjoyed right. with the Father. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That condescension to even just take on flesh is, but it, but think of it this way we needed that. Right. It, 
we mm. were not going to be able to go out and get God. Um, <laughs> we, we were not going to ascend. We needed him to condescend, to come down to us and to dwell amongst us if there was going to be any hope yeah. at all. And we see that in the life of Christ and the death of Christ. And he functions now. I love this language that he says of this second Adam. That's from the Hebrew or from Hebrews and from really all of biblical theology. Jesus is, is being set forth, especially by the gospel or by the, um, uh, by Matthew being set forth as this new Adam, this new representative, this new head who was going to succeed where Adam failed. And now just like all of us, who were in Adam, if you're human in the image of God, you were born into Adam, we now, and we received death through that, we have now received life through one man, through the obedience of Jesus, who fully trusted all that God said. He fully believed and ate of the, of the bread that, um, every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Um, think of the, the temptation in, in Matthew in Matthew 4 of uh, this uh, the serpent, really, the Satan trying to get him to do what Adam did, hmm. doubt God, lean into other things other than trusting in God and his word for help. And the way that Jesus replies is, don't you know, <laughs> man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of hmm. God, that's what I will do. He's committed to it. So he succeeds where Adam fails. And because he did all the way to the point of death and then was and risen, we now partake of that. Just like death came through one man, so life now through another. And that, that's, a, that's the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That really is. All that language at the end of um, he propitiated God's wrath, vindicated God's righteousness, purchased our, redemp- our redemption in order that we can be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. That is the beauty and the majesty of the gospel, of the saving work of Christ yeah. in his humiliating condescension, incarnation that then not like you said, it's one thing for him to become a man. It's another thing for him to become a man who lived the life he did and died the death he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Isaiah 52 and 53 is just such a helpful picture. If you go back and read that of the suffering servant, you really do get this picture that this king of kings would take on this flesh and be a man of sorrows. That, Like you said, that's, that's from, Matthew, or from Isaiah 52, that he had no beauty or majesty about him that would draw us to him. And yet he was pierced for our transgressions and mm. crushed for our iniquities. Um, the pain and the chastisement he received brought us peace. <laughs> that is that great exchange that, that's all happening because Christ, first, all of it was his humiliation. Mm-hmm. And that's where that, this doctrine moves towards us and cultivates a heart of mm. worship in us, a, a, a heart of awe and wonder, and we tremble at it. Um, you know, because the Lord has dealt bountifully with us. And Mm -hmm. it's right there at the heart of it, this section of in his substitutionary death on behalf of his people. You know, he is the perfect sacrifice who satisfies the demands. He bore our sins. He took our punishment. He vindicates God's righteousness. Um, I think that's a a category that that we can never uh, know enough as the people of God is that idea of substitution. Um, You know, Romans 5.12 talks about Adam's sin is imputed to us, and that, that is the bad news. We are, we are in sin, and that's what we've received. But the good news, and that what is here in this section, is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about. You know, for our sake, 
he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So not only is Adam's sin imputed to us, but now our sin, this is the great exchange, is imputed to Christ. And Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Um, when we hit that substitution section, it's just every Christian should light up and, and say, all glory be to Christ. Yeah. Right, and I, I think it's helpful to, to bring out too, when we say substitution, um, often you know our category for substitution is like in sports where, all right, this guy for that, you, you two switch. Um, let's just send in a new guy. Maybe he'll do better. Um, <laughs> that's not the biblical idea of substitution. It'd be more helpful to think of like representation as like your our state senator or our representatives who go to Congress. As they vote, we vote. Mm-hmm. Um, as he goes, we go. Uh, he represents us as our substitute at the Congress. Yeah. Um, that's what we mean by substitute. So it's not just like, oh, Jesus took your place in a like. Let's, or in that way of like like in sports, high five, switch. But rather, Jesus is our representative. That How he goes, we go. How he votes, we vote. And how he lives, we live. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's a good. better, more yeah. accurate way. Yeah. Uh, embedded in all of this, it doesn't use this language, but um, oftentimes we talk about both the, the passive and the active obedience of Christ, which comes from the recognition that laws have kind of two sides to it. One, there's a penalty for law breaking, Mm -hmm. uh, a penalty that has to be paid, but then laws also have positive requirements or demands. And so if you break the law, you have to pay the penalty, suffer the consequence. Um, But really the purpose of any law is to be obeyed, Mm -hmm. to be kept and fulfilled. And so Christ does both of those. He, in you know, what we call his passive um, obedience, he, he suffers what the law demands. And, and that uh, he does, like we were saying, throughout his entire life, uh, the saving work of Christ is not limited just to his work on the cross. Right. While we don't want to diminish that at all, like that, that's significant. Without that, there's, there's no hope for us. But what we want to do is magnify the entirety of his life. It's not like he yeah. came and he was born and then he Hung waited out. around for 30 years <laughs> until it was time to die and then then he did the real work now right. all of it you know in all of his humility he was suffering a loss of glory yes. equal to the damage that our sin does to the glory of god so that the the wrath of god is satisfied the penalty is actually fully paid mm. um, and it culminates in his death on the cross right. and that work of of propitiating god's wrath against our sin uh, but the other side of that is his his active obedience. The law actually has righteous requirements, righteous demands. And in his life, his entire life, he fulfilled that. So the sinlessness of Christ mm-hmm. is essential to qualify him to be a substitutionary uh, sacrifice in our right. place for our sin, as well as to represent us in his His righteousness so that united to him, we are no longer in Adam who failed, but in Christ who is perfectly righteous and united to him, then we are counted righteous. Our sins are forgiven and we're empowered with his strength. So um, all of his life, it just, it, it magnifies that um, his saving work was not just one thing that he did among many things. Everything he did was, was part of this. Yeah. And because if, if he wasn't actively obedient to the father, he would not have qualified as the perfect substitute to represent us before God in, in the cross. As well as, I mean, part this is what he, Paul's point, or Paul, I, I always take Hebrews 
Paul wrote Hebrews. Everybody just deal with it. <laughs> Hebrews in in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is making the point that like he is he he maintains his priesthood, his mediatorship, if you will, because of his perfection. Um, if he wasn't perfect, like the priests of old, he would have had to first make sacrifice for himself right. to purify himself. But Jesus comes to us already spotless. He is the spotless lamb. And therefore, he, the sacrifice, because there is no sacrifice, no, because there's no need for purification for himself, he's able now to give of himself to the people. Mm-hmm. So it's through that new living and um, active way that he has made for us that we can come to the throne mm-hmm. through him. Um, Incredible. We'll, we'll move on because I'm sure there's more to be said. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the Section two, the efficacy of Christ's saving work. God the Father was pleased to accept Christ's sacrifice as a complete atonement for sin, raising him to new life and vindicating his identity and work as the Messiah. For those who place their faith in Jesus, Christ, God's God's righteousness requires no further sacrifice for sin, nor is there any human achievement or merit to be added to Christ's accomplishment. The atoning work of Christ is wholly efficacious, securing the full salvation of all the elect by purchasing the forgiveness of sins, the gifts of faith and repentance, eternal life, and every other blessing that comes to God's people. As the sole and sufficient atonement for sin, Christ's saving work is to be proclaimed to all people without exception as the only means of reconciliation with God. There is no other mediator between God and man than our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he will receive with redeeming love all who come to him in faith. Mm just gets better and better. Yeah. So a couple words that stand out there. Um, atonement. That, that, I think that was that said in the first section? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> an important word there. An important word. Uh, but it really is, what do we receive now because of this word? What is the effect, the efficacy of that to us? Um, and I think the statement is making great pains to say, it is fully effective. There, there's no, it comes to you, it doesn't come to you with stipulations. It doesn't come to you asking, well, are you going to, we'll see. It doesn't come to you saying, um, you know, will you receive it? I hope you do, fingers crossed. No, it's efficacious. It gets stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets glorious things done for God's elect. And it's once and for all, like yeah. Hebrews highlights. It's Paul. You. without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins and so that's the whole old testament sacrificial system but as the author of hebrews says but now christ has come and he is the better sacrifice he is the great high priest he is the one in whom uh, we consequently he is able to save to the uttermost as the end of that section says those who draw near to him so the efficacy, the, the full, the complete, the whole, finally forgive, forgiven by God. Um, it's once and for all. Yeah, and I think this also speaks to um, conversations that I've had in the past with, with students primarily about like questions about the limitedness of the limited atonement, um, you know, question of who did Christ die for? Mm. Um, and usually the pushback is, well, he died for everybody. It's just whether or not they receive it, whether or not they want it or not, they, whether or not they choose to take it. So I just try and make clear to them, well, you, all of us, both of us are limiting something 
um, I'm limiting the the scope, if you will, the uh, the 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 amount or who Christ died for, uh, and what the other side is doing really is limiting the efficacy of the atonement. Well, Christ died for everybody, but it doesn't have the same effect for everybody because some people are able to just not to say no thanks. Um, and I think what this is making clear, and I think what what Calvin's making clear, and what the Canons of Dora are making clear of in that idea of a limited atonement is that Christ will get his church. He will get his bride and he will wash them clean. So we don't want to, we don't want to downplay the efficacy of Christ's saving work by casting such a wide net. Uh, We limit it to Christ's elect because that's for whom he has died for. And that's who he will secure. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, It's the matter of, um, you know, did, did Christ die to make salvation a possibility Hmm. for everybody or did Christ die to save? Yeah his people. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the, the main difference. And one way just that I've found helpful thinking through this is, you know, if, if Christ died for, um, all people, well, then we could ask, is it a sin to reject him, to not believe in him? Well, if so, did he die for that sin? In that case, you'd have universalism, Christ, everybody should be saved. The Bible clearly teaches that's not the case. There Mm -hmm. are some who are lost. There are some who are dead in their transgressions and sins still and will face God's wrath. So not everybody is saved. Um, so, so then that would leave you saying, well, he died for some of the sins of all people. And that feels good because you're saying all people, but it leaves you saying he only died for some of the sins. His death doesn't cover all the sins because you know if, if you reject him, that sin is not paid for, not atoned for. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what we're saying here, what we see scripture teaches is that for his people, Christ died for all of our sins mm-hmm. and will overcome even our dead hearts and mm-hmm. our unbelief so that we will believe. You know, the, the statement is, is saying here, faith is necessary. Um, he will receive with redeeming love all who come to him in faith, it says. Or earlier in the section, for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, God's righteousness requires no further sacrifice mm-hmm. for sin. So this is for those who believe. And what we're saying is his death was fully efficacious to actually completely accomplish the salvation. You know, it's not like a firefighter who just knocks open the door, clears the way and says, all right, now get yourself out if you can. Mm-hmm. And for his people, he, he goes in and he picks us up and yeah. he carries us out and he, he does it all screen. completely. Yeah, yeah that, that really is. And there's no merit that we can add to that. Uh, we bring nothing. We bring nothing in order to make ourselves deserving of right. God's grace and God's saving work. And um, All right, last section, and this is glorious. So... Mm. The exaltation of Christ in his saving work. The exaltation of Christ in his resurrection, ascension, and reign reveals the full glory of his media, mediatorial wow, work. Raised by the power of God, Christ triumphed over sin, death, and Satan, and as the first fruits of the new creation, gives eternal life to all who are united to him by faith. Having ascended to the Father's right hand, Christ pours out the Spirit on his people and intercedes on their behalf as a great high priest, constantly advocating their cause and granting them access into God's presence. As the exalted Lord, Christ reigns with all authority as universal king and head of his church, governing the affairs of men and nations and empowering his people to be victorious over sin, 
and Satan. The consummation of Christ's saving work will occur when he returns to judge the world in righteousness, delivers the kingdom to his Father, and receives eternal worship as King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. Any further development, Ryan? We just would go back to your Psalm 110 sermon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes. And uh, he is the Lord. That We often, in our thinking, just stop when Jesus rose from the dead or stop when Jesus ascended and don't really think, well, what's he doing right now? <laughs> this is what he's doing. He is exalted. He is now reigning and ruling at the right hand of God the Father, putting all enemies under his feet. Yeah. Um, that should give us such confidence, mm. such hope, um, stabilize us in the yeah. midst of the chaotic world around us is that Christ is now on the throne. He has not just been swooped off to some other dimension where he's unconcerned and just waiting to jump back in to save the day. Mm-hmm. He is now active and in, 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 in order to accomplish the mission of God, yeah. which is to disciple the nations. Yeah. Ascending to the right hand of the Father is not you know, Jesus having his hands tied behind his back so that he's, he's limited in what he can do in <laughs> accomplishing his salvation on earth. Like, right. well, too bad he's not here to actually do something. In the meantime, we'll just have to wait. No, he is at the right hand of the Father. He has been exalted and given a name above all names, and he has all authority. Mm -hmm. And so the Great Commission is the charge to the church to disciple the nations under that authority that Jesus has right now. So his exaltation, these two things, you put it together, we start with the humiliation of Christ. Mm -hmm. He existed as God forever, but he suffered a loss of glory um, that's incomprehensible in order to save those of us who had sinned against the glory of God. But he does not now remain humiliated. Mm. He was raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the Father. And so now he exists in glory, which is why we have confidence that our yeah. salvation is secure, yeah. that there is nothing in all the earth that could separate us from the love of God in Christ. Mm. There's there's no power not sword, not famine, not persecution, uh, no earthly power, no king or kingdom can separate us from him because he does not remain defeated in the grave. Mm-hmm. As Paul says, you know, if Christ has not been raised, then we are to be pitied and there's there's no hope for us mm-hmm. either, but he has ascended. Yeah. And so just like we're trying to magnify his entire life matters in our salvation, uh, his entire work matters, yeah. including what he's doing right now sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things, while the Father brings all his enemies in subjection under his feet. And somehow computing, like we said earlier, like pre his incarnation, he was glorious. And he was the perfect son of God Mm -hmm. as the son. And then in his incarnation, he became humiliated in just the very nature. So as Spurgeon quoted, how high he was to how low he is. And somehow... His exaltation declares he is even greater. Mm-hmm. There is a more beautiful, and that should open our scope of like, well, why did he have to come in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why, why mm-hmm. was there sin in the first place? Be, to glorify Jesus. Yeah. That's why. So yeah. he could crush the head of the of the snake and be seen as the conquering king who has ascended into heaven, who now sits at the right, and it's going to get even better as the nations are discipled and as the glory of the Lord through the gospel of Jesus is spread throughout the entire world until such a time where the, uh, the son approaches the ancient days and hands over the church and hands over the keys to the, the ancient days and all will be all in all. That is a glorious thing that's, that's coming and it should yeah. give us hope right now. Yeah, we will see him 
and we will be like him. What hope that gives, what hope this, this gives to we who are always burdened, constantly burdened by our sin. Like, oh, when are we going to be free from this? It, it, it points to, this is from a uh, further section in the statement of faith, but because this is true, this is sure for us. It comes from the sanctification and glorification section, but the ultimate goal of sanctification is our full conformity to Christ's image which will finally come when believers are raised physically with Christ in glory, as he is right now, freed from sin and exulting in the presence of God forever. Yeah, that's so incredible. Good. Yes. And, and Matt, like you're saying, his exaltation in glory, it, that is worth thinking about. Like, well, wasn't he fully God? Didn't, wasn't he already glorious? He accomplished something in human history. Psalm 8 is a great... Um, exposition of this that you know God made the world to be ruled by man he put the world in subjection to man and so Adam is is that first ruler under God ruler mm. of the world and Jesus in becoming a man then achieves this position as the God man who is the king of the world this is probably a poor analogy but I think of like you know Tom Brady or a Patrick Mahomes who they are and the skill that they have they, they possess that no matter what, but when they win the Super Bowl, they they achieve that trophy that belongs to them because mm. they won it. Um, so Jesus did something. That this whole section is about his saving work. He right. actually accomplished something in the storyline of human history. And you were saying at the beginning of all of these doctrines, certainly you know we'd say well they're all important and we can't take any off the table. But there is something about this, and the reason the saving work of Christ kind of stands out. It, it's like the pinnacle that everything else is moving toward and explaining or preparing for or making sense of because mm. this is the purpose for which God created the world to display the glory of his grace in saving sinners through the saving work of Christ. Yes. Yeah. His incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his session, his return, all of that. that, that that's the, the reason for which the universe exists. God it's would be God of his with or without the universe. Yes. He, he didn't need to make this, Correct. but he chose to so that this could happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And he could display his glory for our enjoyment and so we could enjoy him forever as fallen and redeemed people saved through this work. So, creatures that have received mercy upon mercy, yeah, yes. grace yeah. upon grace. And like John says, we saw his glory and we received from him grace upon yes. grace. So hmm. this is humbling always to, to think on hmm. these matters and inspiring. And, That's right. Um, and like, like Caleb, you said earlier, it, it moves toward us. It's not just heavy doctrinal thought, but actually engages us. This mm -hmm. is what we sing about on Sundays. This is what we celebrate every day. This is what we tell our kids about. This is this is our life. Yeah. Um, and as those who have received that gracious gift of his saving work, the, the result of it, it has become efficacious for us. We now, as, as, the, as it says, we now can tell the world. We can spread that message without exception um, to all and watch God give the growth. Mm. So this is great, guys. We'll, we'll consider the next one in a few weeks, but this was worth lingering on. Mm -hmm. and probably should have done it in three separate podcasts, <laughs> but we did our best and uh, more, to, more to be said for sure. But all right, guys, till next time. 
Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.